On the camp, we've been really wrestling with this question, how do you actually live with a refreshed soul? How do you actually live with a refreshed soul? What does it mean to live in spiritual, mental and emotional health? We started by looking at Psalm 19 and there were two key things there we we looked at in Psalm 19. It starts with this incredible phrase, the heavens declare the glory of God. And there's this beautiful picture that you can see God in creation. And there's something about being grounded that often, I don't know, I think we pick it up from a lot of our Indigenous brothers and sisters, something about taking your shoes off and letting your, your, your feet feel the earth. That what, what we see in Psalm 19 is this picture of the starting point, I think, of, of living with a refreshed soul is being able to lift your eyes from yourself and look up and see the world is much bigger and God is much bigger. Don't you think it's amazing? They took a photo of Jupiter overnight. The other thing we see in Psalm 19 is that God built the world on moral foundations. That there are, It's his playground, not our playground. It's his playground he invites us into. And as Cecil B. DeMille said, no one ever broke the Ten Commandments, they only ever broke themselves against the Ten Commandments. Jesus says, do it how you want, but if you build your life on my words, it'll be like building your life on a rock. If you build your life on your way of doing stuff, it'll be like building your house on sand. And so those two themes come out really clearly in Psalm 19. Then in Psalm 23, we get the, these, in, num, these profound images. The, the first one is this, in God we lack nothing. Most of us are pretty aware of the things we feel we lack, aren't we? In God, we lack nothing. Psalm 23 also says, sometimes the right paths that God calls us to are dark valleys. We don't want to go on dark valleys, in dark valleys, but we, but part of the key to living with a refreshed soul isn't trying to manipulate the world so to avoid the dark valleys. It is knowing that he is with us in those dark valleys. And Psalm 23 finishes with this incredible promise of an amazing future and the, the knowledge that whatever dark valleys we may experience, they're temporary. Now we come to Psalm 27. And Psalm 27 really is wrestling with the question, how do you live from all that? How do you put all that stuff into practice? I'm just going to read it to you and then we'll spend a few moments talking about it. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it's my enemies and my foes who'll stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then, I'll be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord. 
This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be lifted, will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Don't hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away in anger you have been my helper do not reject me or forsake me god my savior though my father and mother forsake me the lord will receive me teach me your way lord lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors don't turn me over to the desire of my foes for false witnesses rise up against me spouting malicious accusations I remain confident of this I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living wait for the Lord be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord encourage you if you've got your Bibles it's good to open them and actually let these words speak to you and you may find a particular phrase or verse does jump out at you but it it does start with this pretty remarkable statement the Lord is my light and my salvation whom shall I fear causes you to fear are you in touch with your fears it's normal to fear and it's normal often for your fears to be subconscious for them to be driving you without even being aware of it the most powerful word in verse 1 of Psalm 27 isn't a complicated word it's the word my you see it's possible to know that the Lord is salvation that the Lord is light it's possible to know even that the Lord can be a stronghold that won't do you a lot of good unless the Lord is your light, actually. Unless he's your salvation, actually. Unless he's your stronghold, actually. And there is nothing anybody else can do or say for that to be true. And if you're anything like me, you'll come and go. 
you'll have moments where absolutely, whatever you want, God, and then there'll be moments where you forget he's there. And I think one of the giveaways that you've forgotten he's there is that you probably won't even be conscious of it, but your fears will be running the show. And you'll be living from the desire to avoid the things that make you feel fearful. Verse 2 says, When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it's my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, then will I be confident. I don't know how you go. Sometimes it just feels like you're being bombarded, doesn't it? Sometimes it just feels like life is tough. And everywhere you look, something else is going wrong. Sometimes it can feel like the people you thought you trusted are letting you down. So what do you do? What do you do when it feels like everything's falling apart? Not that it's always like this, is it? But, but there are going to be times in your life where it feels a bit like that. What David is saying is that for each of us, there's going to be a choice. You can put your attention on the bombardment. You can worry about the enemies. You can spend your attention and energy letting them set the agenda. Or you can put your attention on God. You're not going to be able to do that on your own. You notice the very first thing he says in verse 4 after saying that is, God, I'm going to need your help. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Jesus made it clear to us that we in our own strength aren't going to be able to sort out our internal worlds. We are not going to have what it takes. And he said, I'm going to put you in a place where you're going to have a bunch of mates, you're going to need fellowship. But he also said, you're going to need something more than that even. You're going to need the Holy Spirit. You will not be able to hang on to your vision of God just through sheer willpower. It's the Holy Spirit in us that reveals the truth. What that therefore means, though, is that you actually need to let go of the steering wheel. The Holy Spirit can't steer when you've got your hands clenched on the steering wheel. David asks, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may live from the place of a relationship with you. Are you ready to ask that too? Do you want the Holy Spirit to help you? Or are you happy doing it in your own strength?
You see, the Holy Spirit's not going to come and force himself on anybody. And one of the things, one of the truths is, in, in Ephesians it says, be being filled, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's speaking to Christians. And it's really easy, as a Christian, to lose sight of God. That you need to continually come back and say, God, I need a, I need a bit more help like David's doing here. There's some other stuff here that in this psalm that's pretty profound, but I don't think we can go much further without the Holy Spirit's help. So I'm just going to take a moment. And I wouldn't mind, if, if everyone wouldn't mind, just if, if you wouldn't mind humouring me for a moment, just close your eyes. I just want to pray for us, if that's okay. Let's, let's close our eyes together and pray. And one of, the, one of the things about being open to God's will for your life is that it is an act of your will, to hand over your will to God's will. So in a minute, I'm just going to pray for, for those who would like the Holy Spirit to come and give you a hand, to give you a bit, a bit of what you can't do in your own strength. What I'd like you to do is just take a moment now and, and work out if that's true for you. Is that true? Would you like the Holy Spirit to give you a bit extra, to come and bring what he can bring? If you're ready to say to the Holy Spirit, yeah, I, I, I confess I've been trying to do it on my own and I, I know I need you. I know, like David, I need to ask you, Lord, I need your help then I encourage you just to indicate that to him by holding out your hands in front of you like that, by holding out your hands, palm out, as as a sign that you are willing for the Holy Spirit to come and fill you. Don't do it if you're not. There's not much point. But if you're willing, just hold out your hands in front of you, the sign of openness. And I encourage those at home to be doing the same. I'm just going to pray on our behalf. Jesus, we confess, we just can't do it in our own strength. We try, we often try. But gee, we need your help. Holy Spirit, come. Come and fill us. Fill us in a fresh way. And for each of us, for each and every one of us, Jesus, who uh, is saying to you now, we need you. Can you now send your Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, come. Fill us and empower us to live in relationship with you and to to lift our eyes from the, the bombardment and look at you because it's only in your eyes do things make sense so come Holy Spirit fill us now we pray Amen David doesn't finish there he says 
as I put myself in that place, let's see what he says in verse 6, then my head will be exalted or lifted above my enemies. See, it's really easy, isn't it, to keep you, to see the, to see, sorry about this, but to see the crap and to keep focusing on the crap, to see the enemies, to see the, the pain and to have your life defined by the pain. What God is saying here, what David is saying here is as you open yourself to the Holy Spirit, he's going to help you, he's going to lift your head. Like Sophie used to do, I, I, I would often get distracted and she would grab my head between her hands when she was three and say, Dad, pay attention. And uh, I think that's what God wants to do. He wants to say, lift your head. Stop looking at that stuff that's trying to tear you down. You will not fix that stuff by fixating on it. Look to me and you'll find things make sense. And it's as we look to him, you'll see David saying, it's as I do that, I can sing and make music, I can praise Sometimes, I don't know, if it's just not possible to praise and even love God when your eyes are focused on all the unresolved stuff in your life. You need him, don't you, to lift your head? To exalt your head and see that your enemies aren't setting the agenda. And in verse 8, David says, My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. There's this image right the way through, particularly the Old Testament, of the seeking of God's face. But and it's not an it's not a new thing. It's we we know. If you notice that if you look across a room, you you know, room full of strangers, you look. If you see someone someone's back, you think you might know them, till they turn around and then you realise you don't know them. You you only know a person in the, their face. One of the things David recognises and we all need to recognise is that often the God we think we're talking to isn't God. Often the God we think we're talking to isn't actually God. Apparently the, the God, they've done some work to say that often the picture you have in your head of God is more connected to the male figures in your life, particularly in the first five years of your life with all their strengths and weaknesses. And so we actually need to seek God's face. We need to realise that that's not God. We need to come back, we need to see the God who hung on a tree and said, this is what love looks like, let me please love you. We need to seek his face. David says, don't hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away in anger. You've been my helper. Don't reject me or forsake me, God my saviour. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. It's important for you to get this. Chances are your parents did the best they knew how. That's not true for everybody. But no no matter who they are, they did leave you with scars. And some, for some people, profound scars. What David's saying here is, look, 
even the people who are meant to be closest to you, who are meant to love you the most, they are going to let you down. And he's saying, though those people let you down, God's not going to let you down. He's the one person in the cosmos you can trust. And if the God who's in your head is not someone you can trust, it's not God. And so that's why we need to come back every Sunday to a communion and to remember who Jesus is and what he did for us and how much he loves us. Every human being in your life, I hate to tell you this, is fallible. Every human being in your life is broken and often doing their best, but many times won't be seeing you. They'll be doing their best to to survive their chaos. They won't completely be able to engage with yours. Living from a refreshed soul is not about getting the external world in your, sorted out so that it, there's no more chaos out there. It's not even getting your internal world, world sorted out so there's no chaos in here. It's realising that the organising principle of this universe is neither the external world or your internal world. It's your Father in heaven who loves you and as you look to him, things start to make sense both outside and inside. The whole faith journey is about where you put your eyes. David says, Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Don't turn me over the desire of my foes or for false witnesses rise up against me spouting malicious accusations. Do you see that? Do you know that God has a path for you? Do you know that? Do you know that God has a path for you? It's really important you know that. There'll be lots of people around you who have paths for you, who'll want you to do whatever is going to make their life easier for them often. There'll also be your fears that will have a path for you, that'll want you to do whatever dulls the pain of those fears. And as we've said a number of times, the people we pay the most in our society, the people who help us avoid reality. One of my favourite passages is Hebrews 12. This picture, since we're surrounded by such a, a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off all the stuff that holds us back and the sin that so easily entangles And what's it say? Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. How do you do that? Well, you don't sit and go, gee, what should, how do I feel? What is, you know, where where, where do I sense I need to go next? What's going to feel best for my internal world? As we learned last yesterday, as we looked at Psalm 23, God will 
guide you on right paths. Sometimes those paths will be dark valleys. No, how do you, how do you know the path marked out for you? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. You know you're on the right path when you've got your eyes on Jesus. It's almost like, he's, he's, I've noticed in Howrah, the Reformed Church youth group likes chalk chasers. They always, every time I go for a walk, there's always a chalk chase on the pavement. And, and it's almost like Jesus is doing that. He's a few steps ahead of us saying, come on, this, this way. It's easy to have your life determined by the unresolved, but the journey of faith is about having our life determined by Jesus. And it's not some abstract, metaphysical thing. David finishes this psalm with a promise. He says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Do you get that? You will see God's goodness here and now, this side of eternity. You will see that God loves you and he actually has a plan for you. Won't always be easy. But David finishes with a challenge. He says, you know what it's going to take? Do you know what it takes to live with a refreshed soul? It takes waiting for the Lord. That's what it takes. It takes waiting for the Lord. Not letting fear set the agenda, not letting other people set the agenda, not letting... Even your hopes set the agenda. But waiting for the Lord and taking heart as you look to him and not to the other stuff. As we look to the Lord, we find ourselves able to live with a refreshed soul, as David talks about in Psalm 23. Let's pray. And again, Holy Spirit, we say, come, help us. We need you. We acknowledge we don't have what it takes and often we are so aware of all the unresolved, painful things in our lives, we just lose sight of you. Sorry about that. Help us be open to the fullness of who you are. Jesus, thanks that you came that we might have life. And thanks that you want us to live from a place of refreshment. Thanks that that's where your heart is. Please, God, help it be where our heart is too. We ask this in your name. Amen.